0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Eminem Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host Alex Metzger, along with me is my co-host Chase McCallum. Uh, today we have some news uh, to break down and uh, just discuss some things, and then if we have a time at the end, we are going to do the five teams we would least like to take over in the NHL currently. Uh, so let's start with the news. Let's start with uh, the stuff that uh, isn't as fun to talk, or isn't fun in general to talk about. But uh, that's the whole Brendan Leipzig situation. Um, I'm assuming most people have probably seen what happened by now. But uh, if they haven't, uh, Brendan, someone hacked one of Brendan Leipzig's friends' Instagram accounts and leaked a group chat that he ran or was a part of. And there was uh, him, a couple college players, and another guy who's in the AHL, Jack Roadwell. And uh, there was a ton of derogatory stuff towards women and just a whole bunch of shit that you don't want to see on the group chat in general. So uh, Brendan Leipzig has been terminated from the Capitals. They, he, played, he was placed on waivers a couple of days ago as the time recording, and he is no longer with the Capitals. And I would be personally pretty surprised if he finds his way back into the league in general.
1: I would be really shocked by that, at least within the next season.
0: And, like, he's a fringe player, so I just don't see how, if he's not making it next season, he's playing in general.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things where, like, people were quick to be like, oh, the Capitals are great for cutting him. Which is true, they made the right decision, but, like, it's really easy to cut someone who was going to play on your fourth line.
0: Well, and he wasn't even doing that. They acquired Ilya Kovalchuk, and so uh, he was in the press box for the past three or four games or whatever before the season shut down.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like I'm sure Brennan lights based on true talent could easily be a fourth liner on lots of teams, but because there's the marginal value of that is so small that I, I don't see him coming back.
0: Yeah, so uh, I guess we'll, we we talk about the hockey side of it, obviously, but also the the personal side too. About uh, and you know, the, and I guess the mix of the two where it comes in with hockey culture. And this really feels like the uh, a year where it's like uh, the hockey culture is getting exposed and rightfully so. And I uh, again, I, I think it's kind of the same thing with the Don Cherry thing. You don't want to say it's a good thing. It's not a good thing that you have to deal with it. But the fact that people are now finally getting to see it and that people are dealing with it is a good part of the uh is a good thing
1: yeah exactly it's like um what what would be the wording i guess positives can come from negatives something yes
0: and this is a yeah obviously a very negative situation um yeah, from the capital standpoint, I think this would be a very different conversation today if it was, say, Backstrom or Oshi or Ovechkin or someone like that, that the group chat got. But it wasn't, and we don't need to play the what-if game. You know, they terminated his contract. That was the right thing to do uh, and from now on. And, you know, from here on in, it's, you know... I saw people on Twitter complaining about, oh, well, you know, his sh- his whole job shouldn't be ruined because of something he said in a private conversation, and that shouldn't matter. Uh, yes, it was a private conversation, but those things are just you can't say any of those things, you know? Like,
1: yeah, exactly. It's like the classic thing where freedom of speech is not freedom of consequences.
0: Yeah, for sure, and it's just like, I don't know, like uh, there's just so many people. Uh, there's it's insane how many people outed themselves. It's like. Like, the amount of times I saw, oh, well, would you want your personal DMs exposed? It's like, we've all said stuff like this. It's like, no. Like, if you're saying that we've all said stuff like this, you're just saying that you're a horrible person. Like, I wouldn't want my DMs exposed, but that because I'm just saying one or two people I don't like or whatever. I'm not saying I like to degrade women for fun or anything along those lines, which is what it was.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm sure... Obviously, nobody wants their DMs exposed because you'll all have the "Oh, I think this person's an idiot. This was stupid, or whatever." But that is so on a different level from what Brandon Leipzig said that I don't think they should be compared. And obviously, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, and I mean, like, yeah, I, I feel like most of the people who listen to us are probably on our side. And we, you know, probably don't have to explain it too much. But yeah, there's definitely people online, too, who are just like, Oh, I don't see what the big deal. Well, there was a couple of people there's I don't see what the big deal is. And those are the people you just immediately mute and move on from because it's not worth your time. There's the people who, you know, it's the one thing I, w- I was listening to Overdrive uh, the other day, and I generally, like, it's my favorite show to listen to. I I, lo- I think they're hilarious, but it was pretty disgusting, I thought, how they talked about the whole situation, you know? Like, oh, Jeff O'Neill just couldn't get over the fact that it was a private conversation. Like, you could tell, like, they were, and they were like, well, we're not defending his actions, and that's fine, but, like, then you can't go back and harp on it four times over about how you just can't get over that as a private conversation, and, you know that that should someone else should be wrong for putting it out like you just you can't say that even if it's in a private uh, conversation and then wonder why you're being consequence like
1: yeah exactly like there's nothing stopping him from saying that in a private conversation but you're a pro at like you have a very public facing job you have to know there's the potential for consequences of these things
0: yeah well it's just like in any job like if you know like if i if that happened to me, and you know, my, my Twitter account was linked with my employer, and my employer saw it. They'd be like, "Yeah, you're terminated. There's no way we can have you linked with this, especially someone, as you said, who's so highly linked with it, where it's like their whole social media presence is, or in their whole fame is around them being a member of the Washington Capitals. Like it's just a basic HR thing."
1: Yeah, exactly. Because like, it's one thing if our messages got exposed and we were misogynists or whatever. But, like, HH isn't really probably going to get exposed to that if you're exposed, or E-Craftsman isn't probably going to find out about it if I'm exposed. But, like, if you're a pro hockey player, you have to be nearly certain that if this stuff gets out there, the Washington Capitals are going to find out about it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's just, like, it's one of those things where it's like, yes, obviously – when you're famous you have to be more careful but a good way to be careful is just not say misogynistic shit like that like it it feels pretty simple
1: yeah it's always the easiest way around these things is to (laughs) just not be a terrible person
0: yeah don't be a complete asshole like I, i just yeah i don't know like it's i think the reaction generally speaking was uh not, you know, I don't want to say positive, but like people understanding why he had to go and why it was wrong. I do think that there was enough of that, but also, you know, there's still the, the dude bros of hockey culture where it's like, Oh, well he didn't do anything wrong. We all talk like that in private. You're lying. If you don't, it's like, or it's like the, Oh, so you've never made a mistake guy. It's like, okay. But again, there's a difference between making a mistake and just saying some insanely messed up stuff, right? Like
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, just, like, some of the stuff he said was really bad. Just because you've made a mistake does not put it anywhere close to the same level as what was going on there. Exactly.
0: And, like, yeah, like, it was just, like, I'm not, I I don't want to bring up too much of what he said, but it was, like, like, I've saw, I've heard some bad stuff, and I was just cringing reading it. It's just like, oh, my God. And then it's just like all aspects, too. It's not just that he's being an absolute dickhead towards women. You know, if that wasn't enough to get people mad, which it absolutely should be, he also, you know, called up multiple players in the league – Uh, Bad or you know He made fun of multiple players girlfriends or wives In the league he called his two teammates Losers and stuff like that it's like There's just every aspect you look at it is a Horrible situation and he did it to himself
1: Yeah it was just Impressively idiotic Yeah And
0: and that's not even to mention the whole sentence Of I love coke that he put in Which like would be grounds For suspension right there
1: Yeah (laughs) yep. I didn't even think
0: like, about that part. Yeah, like it's the most glossed over thing because at the end of the day, it's probably the, the least important thing of this. But it's just like if the NHL really wanted to and they felt that their HR policy or whatever for for whatever reason wouldn't be good enough, he'd be suspended for admitting or you know he'd at least be subject to random drug tests very more often uh, because he just straight out admitted that he does coke, which like it I probably shouldn't be too much of a surprise. I feel like more hockey players do that than uh, – the league wants you to know, but, like, still, it's just – it's insane that uh, the situation's so bad that that is definitely the least important part of it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Remember the Kuznetsov video was, like, the talk of the week or whatever last summer? And now this is, like, just a small – like, getting brushed aside because of the smallest part of this.
0: Exactly. So,
1: and I can say um, it right me, so.
0: Yeah, yes, for sure. Like, it's not like – like, I, I don't know. I don't care – uh, yeah, like it's people are free to do what they want as long as they're not hurting others and you know like uh, what the the stuff he said was clearly hurting others whereas you know if you just say you like to do coke it like whatever I would never do that but that is your choice to do, right? Yeah, exactly.
1: So, there are uh, bigger pills to die on in this world.
0: Exactly. Um so do you have anything else to say on the situation as a whole?
1: Uh no, not really, just kind of good riddance pretty much yep. really cans
0: yeah I mean I would be shocked if he ever lands an NHL job just given who he was before this happened and and now uh, and if he somehow did land on an NHL gig I think there'd be a lot of people waiting to punch him in the face when he comes back uh, so oh, yeah so I'm just uh, kind of waiting to see what KHL team signs him in the next couple of weeks, if I'm being honest. But uh, yeah, OK, let's move on to some uh, lighter news. We have uh, a signing, well, a couple signings, a couple prospect signings, a uh, NHL signing and then some draft news. Um, so let's get on to the NHL signing, I guess. Uh, Yaroslav Halak signed an extension with the Boston Bruins. Uh, he signed it for one year, and it was a 2.25 million dollar cap hit, and I believe it can get up to 3.5 million dollars with incentives added in. Um, so, what, what is your thoughts on this contract?
1: As a Leafs fan, I hated it. For yes, Blues, it's great.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was shocked that he uh, signed for this. Or, sorry, I think it's. I'm just looking. So, it says the cap hit is 2.25 million dollars, but the AAV is 3.5 million dollars. So, yeah, it's one point, up to 1.25 in performance bonuses that he could get. And uh, that performance bonus is play 10 games. Um, so it feels very, very reasonable that he will hit that. So it's likely a $3.5 million contract, which is still very, very cheap, all things considered.
1: Yeah, Yaroslav Halak is one of the most fascinating goalies to me. Because depending on what the cutoff you use is, his like, career statistics are... Can be presented as more impressive than Carey prices, and yet no matter what he does, he will just will never seem to be a starting goalie.
0: Yeah, I mean, like I think he's in a really good situation now, where it's like because of the situation he's in Boston is why he looks so good these days. But it's like he's been really good this year and last year, especially as a tandem starter with Rask, who is I think shown in the past couple of years that he's an upper end goaltender in the league himself.
1: Yeah, exactly. It can't hurt playing behind the Boston Bruins, but like, at some point, he's just getting enough results that I think he should probably be a starter, and Boston should be very, very happy to have him as backup.
0: Yeah, I mean Boston. So if you look at like uh, evolving hockey, they have their his last five years. Uh, he, he played the past two years. He's played in Boston was uh, eight goals above goal saved above average and. 14 goals saved above average. His goals saved above as expected were 2.29 and 10, respectively. And then in 17-18 with the Islanders, that was that uh, horrible Islanders defensive team uh, where every goalie who played behind them sucked. And he had a minus 6.8 goal saved above average and a minus 9.23 goal saved above expected and then the previous two years in the uh, in the island he was both he was positive in both categories so like yeah he's I think he is very clearly a top 30 goalie in the NHL um but you know for Boston they're clearly uh their tandem thing works where it's like both guys kind of get 30 to 50 games or whatever depending on who's hot who's injured and everything and you know we saw last year it really helped Rask because he played very well in the playoffs and they went to game seven of the Stanley Cup Finals
1: yeah, exactly, and it's the perfect system, because if Rask doesn't play well, then you have a capable starting goalie there, or if Rask gets hurt, or Halak gets hurt, like, you're just so much better insulated from, like, adverse effects when you have two starting goalies.
0: Yep, and again, like, I'm a little surprised at uh, how little the cap hit is, but I mean, I guess if you're Halak, uh, you know, because he's 34, you know, he very well could have... Um, looked for one more big payday if you will for like a three or four year deal and on definitely a higher AAV I think if he would have went to market I would assume he would have got like six mil this year probably
1: I would hope there was at least more than what he got on because like like
0: 3.5 just feels like an incredible discount but like I mean he clearly loves it there and why wouldn't you like Boston's a very very good team and you're a big part of that so uh yeah you know like I, I don't know
1: yeah, and for him, I wonder if it's a just don't mess with happy kind of thing where he's clearly playing well there. Why screw it up?
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm trying to find his career earnings on Cap Friendly, although I don't know. Oh, there we go. So he's earned okay. as estimated almost forty million dollars in his career before this one kicks in. So like. It's definitely not the most, like, there's lots of players who've earned more than that, but it's not like $40 million is something to uh, just brush to the side, right? Like, he's earned a very, very, very big wage in his career, so, I mean, and $3.5 million is nothing to scoff at either, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, his career wealth is to the point where if you put, if you get 2% interest, you like, your your money is making you enough money to live off of anyways, so.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He'll be
1: so, right. uh, yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, so, yeah, that's a g- great contract for the Bruins and, uh, you know, good for a lack for staying there if that's what he uh, feels like he wants to do. Uh, so then now we got two signings that are younger players that have never played in the NHL. Uh, the first one in Montreal is Alexander Romanov. And I just want to bring this one up uh, uh, for a couple reasons. One, Romanov is a very, very, very good prospect. Uh, he is supposed to fit right into the Canadians blue line. Um, but the other thing I want to bring up was because of his league pause, uh, they haven't actually signed the contract yet because they want to get clarification about whether he's eligible to play in this year or if he had to wait to next year. And I don't know which way the, the Canadians want to go, but from what I understand is You know, he could have signed, let's say, because when his contract ends in the KHL season, whatever date that is, let's say his team got eliminated from the playoffs in March or whatever, right? Mid-March, late March. If uh, he could have then signed with the Habs and came over to North America for April and May for the playoff push or whatever. So I don't see why it would be any different now.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of confused by this whole thing, to be perfectly honest.
0: Because, like, like, the only thing I can think of is if they're holding off because they don't actually want him this year because they're, like, and I think, that like, if they don't want to burn a year of his ELC and they know that they're coming back for eight games and are going to be eliminated from the playoffs or two playoff games if there's a 24-team format or whatever, um, it, maybe they don't want to burn a year of his ELC or, so, or his, uh, yeah, his, his contract and they just want to wait until next season starts. Like, that's the only thing I could really think of.
1: That would be the smart thing to do, but all you have to do to accomplish that is just not play them.
0: Yeah, I guess so. But like, maybe I, I don't know. I I really don't know. I that I found it weird. Like, I thought it made sense at first, and I thought about it a little more. It's like, does it really make sense? I don't. I don't think it does all that much.
1: Yeah, it well, seems like an odd sort of. I maybe there's more to it, like with the CBA that we don't know because I don't really understand it. At
0: them. Yeah, no, I don't either. But uh, you know, looking at uh, his positioning next year uh, with the team, uh, I think they are very excited to have him. He was—he's been one of the best uh, defensemen at the World Juniors a couple years in a row, um, I believe. And he, from all accounts, is just a top four potential, maybe even top two. But I think team uh, the Habs probably expect him to come in in the bottom four somewhere and then or you know maybe the bottom pair there and then work his way up to the second pair after
1: yeah maybe they i assume they're keeping petrie at this point maybe they play he plays on like the second pair but it's with a jeff petrie quality style player or something like that
0: yeah exactly i mean you look at their defense score they have weber petrie uh and then they have on ir right now is mete and then after that it takes a big drop off i mean, uh, ben Chariot, uh, Brett Kulak, Christian Follin, and Xavier Ouellette, so I would assume Folan and Ouellette are probably gone after this year, or maybe not on the NHL roster. Kulak signed for th- two more years, and same with Chariot, so uh, Ben, yeah, so I would assume he'll step in there and give some much-needed help as the four or five defenseman.
1: Yeah, and they, they have a very good right side and a terrible left side, which is a weird problem to have, but presumably he is going to help that right away his statistics don't look super impressive but he's got that thing where being an 18 and 19 year old playing that much in the KHL is just impressive on its own
0: yeah exactly like if you're looking at him for counting stats uh you know as a defenseman in the KHL it's not going to be uh the greatest look ever right like uh, it's just it's it's not he had seven points in 43 games but uh you know from all accounts he you know he played pretty solid minutes uh with his KHL team and again it's hard to make it as an under 21 22 year old in that league let alone as an 18 to 19 year old playing regular minutes so
1: yeah exactly like I remember when Ovi was touted as like the next big goal scoring phenomenon I couldn't believe how few goals he scored in the KHL but like it's just kind of a function of how the league is
0: Oh yeah, I mean, like it's uh, it's it's crazy. Like you always think of him, you know. Though just the hype that he had, and rightfully so, clearly. Uh, coming in though, you always just think of him as someone who, like, probably must have. You know, you think, oh good God, like this guy must have just lit up the league. He must have had like forty KHL goals or something. Nope, thirteen and thirteen in his uh, two years before coming to the NHL. So. And that's in 53 and 37 games, I should point out as well. But, you know, uh, it's clearly just it's so hard to score in that league and just so hard to get playing time at at a young age.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I imagine even more so for a defenseman. So it's a very good sign that Romanov's actually getting regular minutes as a 19 year old.
0: Exactly. Um, and then the other signing I want to discuss quickly was the Ottawa Senators signed Artem Zub. Zub? Zub? I don't know how to pronounce his name. Zub? I don't know. Uh, they signed him to a one-year deal. He's a 24-year-old right-handed defenseman. Uh, He's coming from Russia as well, I believe. And, uh, yeah, he's coming from the KHL. He's played a bunch of years in the KHL. Uh, He's never played in the NHL. Uh, There was a couple teams in on him, and Ottawa got him. So I wanted to kind of bring up a couple things. Uh, I think he'll slot right into the team, just given how not great Ottawa is. Like, I, I... I mean, to put it lightly.
1: That's why you sign with the Senators if you're him, correct?
0: I would assume so, yeah, just because you know you're going to get playing time. But also, like, you have Nikita Zaitsev there as well. So, you know, you have, like, the language barrier, I'd have to imagine, is probably huge for guys who have only ever played in Russia.
1: I would think so. And Zaitsev would know firsthand how tough that could probably be. So it'd be nice to have someone like that on the blue line there if you're coming over.
0: Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think, yeah, you know, if you look at Ottawa's roster, uh, I think for some reason I thought he was a lefty, but on um, Cat friendly he has him as a righty. So next year that really could mean that their right-handed D-list is Zaitsev, Hainsey, and Zub, which is not good. But, I mean, uh, whatever, I guess. Like, I, yeah. don't, I don't expect Ottawa to be good. It depends where they land in the draft lottery, which we'll talk about soon enough too. But like, I don't really think Ottawa needs to be good next year. I think they can be bad for another year and then in two years from now be expect to be good. But at the same time, if they have two picks in the top three or four of this draft lottery, it very well could be expected that Ottawa takes a bigger step than expected this coming season.
1: Yeah, they're actually in a very nice position because even if say they do hit on these Say they luck in and they're picking first and second, which I'm not even sure is going to be possible. We can get into that in a second. But, like, say they do, then maybe there'd be a little more pressure on them to be good next year. But there's still not going to be that much pressure on them to be good. So if they fail and are picking third overall next year, you could still easily spin that as success.
0: Yeah, exactly. I kind of always compare it to, you know, what the Leafs did in 15-16 where it's just like – if they are good, that's great. You know, they're they're a step ahead of uh, where they're expected to be. But like, if they're not, it's it's fine as well, right? So uh, yeah, I don't think Ottawa will be great, but uh, bringing in a guy like this is a low risk signing that I think uh, is a very good thing to see.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's essentially no risk and possibly really high reward. I don't know a damn thing about this guy, but I don't know maybe no. he's a player.
0: Me either. I, the one thing I did want to, and this is kind of why I wanted to bring him up more so than anything else, was uh, I saw a couple people on Zen's Twitter comparing him to Nikita Zaitsev as that, like, as his comparable. As if that's a good thing, that's not a good thing. You should want him to be much better than Nikita Zaitsev.
1: Yeah, I mean, if he is Zaitsev and he plays on your bottom pair, I guess it's still fine.
0: Like, yeah, like, it's it's not like this, as long as you don't give him the Zaitsev contract, it's not going to backfire. But what I'm saying is just, like, if you're super, super excited about this guy, and then you turn around and say, yeah, his outlook is Nikita Zaitsev, it's like, okay, you shouldn't be that excited about this guy, then.
1: Yeah, no, not at all.
0: Like, That's even just, a capable 5-6 for free is great, but uh, just you know, like, I don't know, like, I, I, the one thing I I always scratch my head at was when they were like, oh yeah, this should be super exciting. You know, I compare him and maybe it's just because it's, you know, a Russian guy coming over from the KHL at uh, roughly the same age. I think Zaitsev was 24 when he came over as well, maybe 25, but.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things. I think if I was a GM, I would ban uh, my scouts from comparing players to those who are from the same country as them, because I think it's, creates a lot of lazy comparisons yeah i
0: mean even just comparisons in general i find are pretty lazy like it's it's always just because to like you only ever compare the highest possible comparison yeah like you know you never hear anyone say oh you know this guy has the hands of i don't know name some random third liner that would be offensive to if you heard it on draft day where it's like why are you drafting this guy but it's like in all reality, that's probably a more accurate comparison than saying, this guy is the skating of Nathan McKinnon in the hands of Austin Matthews or something like that. It's like, what?
1: Yeah, people love that stuff. Like, you never hear the next Chris Tierney, but because Rasmus Dallin was both Swedish and an offensive defenseman, you either hear he's the next Lidstrom or next Carlson. Yeah, exactly, where in reality it might just be like, well,
0: I mean, Dalino's a first overall pick, obviously, but it might just be he's... I don't know. Insert defenseman number two here, right? Like, and but people obviously don't want to hear that. No, it's so fun. Yeah, exactly. Where it gets even more wild is when you have like number pick number twenty in the draft or something, and it's just like, oh yeah, like this guy has the speed of uh, this first liner and the the uh, puck ability of this first liner and the the talent of the other first liner. It's like, okay, so why is this guy twentieth pick in the draft then? Like.
1: Yeah, I forget why I was doing this, but I was re watching the Nylander draft uh, 2014, and there was a dude who went in the second round, and on his comparable, the first thing that popped up was Jerome McGinla. I was like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So it's just, it's stuff like that where it's like, okay, yeah, comparisons probably aren't the greatest thing, anyways, but uh, I don't know. Uh, so let's get right into the draft then. Uh, This a lot of talk about it being June 5th as the weekend the NHL wants to have it. Um, It's funny because it seems like no one other than Sens fans and Red Wings fans want to have it that weekend. Um, But the NHL kind of feels like they're going to go for it anyways, and that's probably for the TV money. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but let's hear your thoughts first.
1: Yeah, I don't know what the logistics like, I don't know what kind of a logistical problem having the draft is for behind the scenes. I assume it's a very difficult one, which is why I was really, really surprised they wanted to go through with this early. What about you?
0: Uh, I was at first, but I think when you just sit back and look and realize that the TV networks are probably pushing for this, and uh, everyone is comparing themselves to how well the NFL draft did, so the NHL draft is probably—the probably looking probably that. well, let's have our draft. The difference is— Everyone knows the top, not everyone knows, but like everyone is aware or it's pretty easy to be made aware of the NFL draft's top 30 prospects. And also literally like, I don't know. 80 maybe not that high but like probably 40 or 50 prospects taken in an NFL draft will be starting within week one or two of the NFL season and like I would say a decent chunk like maybe a third of the draft some years will be start at least play at some point in the following season right whereas like in the NHL everyone after the first three picks aren't going to make an impact for at least one year, and then once you get to picks like 12, 13, they're not going to be there for two to three years. So it's just so much harder to create hype around, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like the um in the NFL, a third round pick winning rookie of the year the next year isn't super uncommon. Whereas that would be like completely unheard of in the NHL. Yeah,
0: I mean like it was insane. Alex Formenton was a second round pick a mid-second round pick of the Ottawa Senators a couple years ago and he made the team out of rookie camp and I think it was for yeah Batherson was in the fourth Foreman was second and he made the team out a rookie camp and played like four games with the team before getting sent back down and that was considered just absolutely stunning and everyone's like wow that could already be the steal of the draft because of how soon he made it to the NHL it's like okay he played four games in the NHL because he was fast and but, like, in the NFL, it's – you know, you have – there was legitimately guys taken in the fifth and sixth round this year that will probably start week one and honestly may be, like, in the rookie of the year conversations. Or, not, if not that caliber, like, actual good starters throughout the year.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's not even uncommon where, like – yeah, exa- I completely agree. Just the 99 percentile outcome is so much less interesting right off the bat for the NHL relative to the NFL.
0: Yeah, and I think the other problem with the NHL, I think it is doable if you wanted, but like, I don't know, so like I saw, I oh, it was uh, uh, Jim Matheson had something tweeted about how you need a handbook for every prospect. And I said, well, no, not really, you don't need a handbook on every prospect. It's the NFL-NHL comparison thing that's the issue, but also, we also don't have... Uh, I don't know, like, I'm not a prospect person, but, like, I don't care for most of the uh, coverage of the prospects for reasons like we just said where it's, like, I don't need to hear that the 18th or 19th overall pick has a comparable of a top eight or a top ten player in the entire league. I would just rather hear what they're good at, you know, like how soon you'd rather see them in the league. If you just gave actual good prospect coverage, I think it would at least be more enjoyable, but at least to me, I don't really get that from a lot of the uh, big NHL networks.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Like you'll see, say the a cornerback goes like 22nd overall and they'll be like, oh, yeah, he'll be their fourth corner who will play like nickel packages and they'll play him in the slot here or whatever because that's what he's good at. Whereas in the NHL, I think there's a lot more of a tendency to be like, oh, yeah, this guy has McDavid's hands and Ovi's shot and whatever, even though he might not play a game for six years.
0: Yeah. Or they'll just throw around like uh, focus where it's like, Oh, he's a grinder. He, he, you know, his teammates love him. He gets in the dirty areas. So it's like, okay, what does that mean though? Like, and like, and again, I don't put much stock into that. Maybe a casual fan might more, but like, I'm just like, I don't know. I will be watching the draft whenever it happens, just because more of where my team is picking and how much they're picking rather than uh, anything else. But, and then we get into the other stuff. There's just so many issues with it. Um, the, the best part about the NHL draft compared to the NFL draft, like the, the NFL draft, I'm just using so much in comparison because it's just the biggest one in all of sports. Um, but the, the best part about the NHL draft is there's legitimate, like, big NHL players that are, tra- are traded on that day. That can't happen anymore.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, having all the same GMs in a room together is, unless you're a Sens fan or a Red Wings fan, the most exciting part of the draft, and that's gone.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, and it's not even, yeah, it's just, I I was listening to Puck Soup and they said, well, the way to fix this could just simply open up the trade deadline again. It was literally only, it only passed like a week or two ago before the season shut down. And it used to be way later in the year anyways. And I think that's a really great idea if I'm being, if like, if you're that committed to wanting to restart the season and even play a couple regular season games open up the trade deadline and let someone move who you know didn't get moved at the deadline at the draft for say a first round pick or let a team recoup their first round pick or something like that who's just maybe more out of it than they thought like i I feel like that would be way more exciting and i would definitely be watching all weekend if that was the case
1: yeah i love that idea and at worst it lets you it'll make it more exciting which should help the tv ratings
0: Yeah, exactly. But, like, I don't think they will, and so what you're going to have is only trade-ups or trade-downs, and, uh, you know, for hardcore fans, that's kind of exciting, until you get to the
1: second or third round, and then I don't care either, like, uh, so I don't know. Like That also begs the question, so say I want to trade-up. I'm Toronto, and I want to trade-up with you, Ottawa, and I'm like, hey, I'll give you Alex Kerfoot and my second-round pick for your... 16th overall pick that's a totally normal thing that happens is that going to be allowed
0: no I doubt it because or even if it would be allowed I don't think teams would do it because uh that would the team would have to finish the year with like Kerfoot would have to finish the year with Toronto and you know I'm sure he would it's not like he wouldn't try but like he's there's also probably times where it's like okay I know I'm literally out the door in like whatever amount of games why do I care that much
1: yeah, you can still have that thing where you are like. Do I really want to take a puck in the face right now to block? Yeah, the-
0: exactly. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: Oh no, I was. I just. I'm curious to see what they do with this. I don't see how you can do the draft midseason because of how many players are traded. But I don't know. I guess it looks like they're gonna try.
0: Yeah. And I mean, if we just want to keep rolling down the list with problems here, it's uh, another problem is uh, the conditional picks, you know, where how many player uh, games a player plays, how many rounds a team wins decides if it's a second or a third. What the league said, their compromise to that is the two teams who have the conditions can go back and rework the conditions. And if they can't come to a a conclusion at the end of the three day period or whatever it is, the league will make a decision. And I again, I cannot explain how bad of an idea that is to me. Like, I'm fine with the teams having to rework their conditions, but put it to a neutral arbitrator, not the league. Don't let the league decide.
1: That's the—so I actually like the idea of an arbiter more than the league deciding, but, like, there is going to have to be somebody who's a bad guy in this.
0: Yeah, but, again, make that the neutral arbitrator so then—because you already know what—let's let, say—I think the Leafs and the, the Kings have one, right? But I, I don't know if it really is—does it depend on a playoff thing at all?
1: It it was um how many games Jack Campbell plays and it was like six games. So it was like a near certainty he was going to play that amount of games. Yeah. But he obviously only played like two or something like that. And then there was Clifford resigning. That one's little... uh, Okay. But I think okay, it was but look,
0: Right. Okay. But let's say in, in the Toronto condition or whatever, it was like if Toronto makes it the second round of the playoffs, the third becomes a second. Well, let's say if they have to rework it, L.A. and Toronto can't come to a decision. If the league favors in whatever way Toronto is arguing, how many people are going to be like, wow, look, see, the league is rigging it for Toronto. And, like, it's going to be like that for every team. And then fan base just going to feel screwed. And whether you care about that or not, sure. But, like, I feel like there will be some resentment or, like, questionable uh, actions coming up. And I don't know. Like, I just feel like if you had an arbitrator, you just save yourself a lot of trouble.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with that because you know if Toronto gets, like Toronto is almost certainly going to have to give, like the condition of Jack Campbell playing six games is almost certainly going to trigger. If that condition ends up changing in such a way that it probably doesn't trigger, you know people are going to be so pissed off about it.
0: Yeah, exactly, and it's just like, I don't know, like, I, I will say the other thing, and i will get to this in a second, too, is I don't think the league's smart enough to really rig the league for any team, but I just think that people will say that, and it'll, you know, people, rightfully or wrongfully, will have that feeling, and I feel like if you're the NHL, you should just save yourself from that trouble ahead of time.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Like, people think that this new system being proposed is rigging it for the Detroit Red Wings. It,
0: yeah, like... So this is what I wanted to get into. Uh, You know, the next part of the thing was that uh, because the NHL doesn't know how their playoffs are going to work and they still want to hold a draft, they also don't want a team to be able to win the draft lottery, get pick number one, and then go on some miracle playoff run if the league doesn't resume and they finish 24th in the league and won the cup. And it is so NHL to worry about that happening, but it also be such an NHL thing to actually happen or, you know, at least make a run to like the final four or something like that. So now the new proposed system is that you just do what they used to do where it's like whoever wins the lottery can only move up five spots. So that means Ottawa, and there's only one lottery. So Detroit can't pick worse than second. Ottawa can't pick worse than third and fourth um you know whatever teams behind ottawa can't pick behind well, worse than one spot but like i have so many questions about that but yeah then you go to the people who are like like they're legitimate people like the steve dangle podcast spent like 10 minutes talking about how this is probably like this is rigging the league for detroit i'm just like do you think the league is that smart If the league was smart enough to rig the draft lottery, Connor McDavid would be a Toronto Maple Leaf right now, and Austin Matthews would probably be playing in Arizona, or both of those guys would be playing in the massive American markets that were in the draft lottery.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like I can't imagine Gary Bettman and company sat down and said, you know what we should do? We should alter the Detroit Red Wings—or the— draft lottery in such a way that the Detroit Red Wings and Ottawa Senators benefit the most because they affect our bottom line so very much.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing is like, everyone's talking about, Oh yeah. How much this uh, affects Detroit, but like this helps Ottawa more than anything, in my opinion, like, yeah, for Detroit, it guarantees one or two, but Ottawa is now guaranteed three and four or better. So like, it could be one and three, it could be one and four, uh, you know, like, uh, it could be two and three, right. Um, I just, I like that to me is so much better than uh, like knowing that you're going to have for sure three and four and very, very likely probably one of the one or two pick because I think Ottawa's under the new percentage to have the first overall pick would almost be 50% or just something insane like that. But like just, I just don't understand how people just casually overlook. Oh yeah, no, this helps one of the, the smaller markets in the league. It's like. But they And then they're like, oh, no, but it's a conspiracy theory because they want to help Detroit. It's like, OK, but like Ottawa is now guaranteed two amazing players in the top five, whereas like if it would have been the normal draft, uh, there's a very good chance they could have picked, say, third and sixth or
1: something like that. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't understand what incentive the NHL would possibly have to be like, we need to really help the Ottawa Senators. Like, they're just absolutely not rigging this. No, exactly. And It's just like...
0: Like, I I have some questions about, like, I'm not going to complain. As a Senators fan, I cannot complain about this, the way they want to do it. I cannot, and I will not complain. What I will question as just an NHL fan is, okay, A, why don't, if you're going to make it so you can only move up five spots, why don't you do that for, like, all three lotteries still? Like, do three lotteries if you're going to have three lotteries anyways, right? And, like, I don't know, maybe, I, I don't know, like, let's say the second lottery or whatever, so you do the first lottery and... Whoever wins it, wins it. If it's, say, the ninth place team, they move up five spots. If you do the second lottery, just make it so that Detroit automatically has the first pick and then no one can take the first overall pick. So if Ottawa won the second lottery, they just sit at two and three no matter what. But like, Or just have one lottery but only make it the seven teams that aren't going to be part of your 2014 playoff format if that's what you really want to do.
1: Yeah, exactly, because that's the other thing. Then they're like, okay, the playoffs are going to be 24 teams. It's like, well, if the playoffs are going to be 24 teams and you don't want to have a team pick first overall and win the playoffs, why not just make only those 24 teams eligible – or, sorry, only those seven teams eligible for the lottery then?
0: Yeah, exactly. It just – it does not make any sense. Nothing this league does make sense, and it's going to be a disaster in my opinion. But – and. Like, going to the 2014 playoff format, like, I know we haven't talked about this much, but that would, I wouldn't want that at all. I think, to me, I think 20 is the absolute max you could do, and that would just be, And even that, I think 18 is probably where I'd want. But I think if you want to do 20, you just do 7 and 10 and 8 and 9 from the conference play each other, and the winner of those will play 1 and 2, and then everything else works as normal.
1: Yeah, I'm not... Entirely sure why the playoffs need to be expanded, but like if they are smaller is preferred to me.
0: Well, yeah, and that's the other thing. It was like, yes, like why, like why is it not that sixteen teams is just not not like I get it because the league wants more revenue and that's probably why they want to expand them, but like the people are saying like, Oh, it wouldn't be fair to the Winnipeg Jets. Cause they miss out by point zero one of a percentage or whatever off points percentage. So what there's been teams who last year, the Florida Panthers missed the playoffs and they had more points than I think both wildcards in the Western conference for sure than the eighth seed team. But because the conference that they were in the division they were in was so good that, you know, they didn't make it. How is that fair to them?
1: Yeah, exactly. And like, I, I don't get why this – we hear all the time about how every point counts and all these stupid cliches. Well, if people actually believe them, then we should probably just leave the playoffs the way they are. Yeah, exactly.
0: Like, I just I, – I don't understand it. I don't get it at all. Um Like, it makes no sense to me. But, you know, if you did want to expand for more revenue or whatever, sure. Like, Mm -hmm. I'd be fine going to 18 or 20. I think 20 I would be comfortable with. And I believe Dom had an article on The Athletic that mentioned, like, that would be the most fair way in terms of making it or whatever, however you want to find that. But, like, if you had a best two out of three series for the seven eight nine and tens right and then that would also give more of an incentive to be first or second if you didn't say uh, apply that going forward which I don't, I don't think they will but like then it gives the division winners like an actual reward too because right now like you saw there's some years where the division winner actually plays a better team because they won their division instead of the second place team
1: yeah exactly the format was terrible to begin with and yet they have somehow stumbled on theories that make it worse <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know. I think this
0: uh, this could be a, this has a disaster written all over it. Possibly, um, we'll see what happens. Uh, they haven't made a decision yet, which feels like something they should want to do uh, because, like, the LA Kings just announced today that they're not bringing back their assistant GM who does all the scouting stuff, and it's just like. Okay, so he knows he's gone, and he's now interviewing with other people, and uh, if the Kings give him permission to go somewhere, he can go somewhere. It's like, this just feels like it's going to be a disaster.
1: Oh, I have a feeling it will be, and it'll be the greatest NHL. Like, it'll be so NHL when it blows up in their face.
0: Yeah, eh, yeah. So hopefully the ratings are good, I guess. Uh, that That's, you know, I don't want to cheer against the sport making money, but uh, I have a interesting feeling that this won't work um but we'll see
1: ratings will be fine whether it blows up in their face or not at least yeah yeah
0: you would think so but like i think wwe this past week had like brutal ratings and it just shows that like people are starved for content yes but like not all content like i don't know I, i think you know it'll probably do better than average but like i just i don't know like if they're expecting it to have a 33% 33% jump or whatever the NFL draft had, like, that was some crazy number. I just don't think that'll happen, but you never know.
1: Yeah, it's anytime you're comparing yourself with the NFL, it's always a tough one because they're maybe the biggest sports uh, market on the – or sports league on the continent, and you're the NHL. You're, what, like fourth or fifth?
0: Probably fifth, and if you count college, fifth or sixth, so.
1: Yeah, exactly. But-
0: yeah. Um, OK, so let's get into our top five teams you would least want to take over uh, for this. I kind of looked at, you know, teams roster. You have to take in the roster, uh, the ownership consideration, the, the market, ex- all those things. Uh, so we'll go from five to one. Uh, the fifth team I had on my list was actually the Anaheim Ducks.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty good one. They are not a very good team. And there's yes, a lot of money tied in for a long time.
0: Yeah, so what I tried to do is I, I looked at the rosters and stuff first and just thought about what I would want to uh, take over and not take over, and then I'd also try and mix in ownership, and um, we might have a different discussions later on, but uh, Anaheim's ownership isn't bad by any means, and they'll spend when they need to, but there's obviously, I think it's pretty well known that there's been an internal cap at times. And part of that internal cap or maybe just negligence is, you know, they're one of the, I think the only team that doesn't actually have anyone in their analytics department, like on record. So uh, it's just one of those teams to me where I think if I was taking it over, you have some pieces to work with, but like, even like John Gibson, it's so hard to know what to do with him because he's 26. And I don't think the league values him as much as probably me or you value him. And it's just like, like, what do you do? Because, you know, he's at the age where it's like, if you've, full-on tear down and rebuild for two to three years, which, like, I think they probably should. He's getting the age where it's like, when you want to be good again, who knows if he'll still be good? But also, if you trade him, you're just looking for literally John Gibson for years and in, years in, at a time.
1: Yeah, he's kind of the worst-case scenario to have. Well, not worst-case scenario. Obviously, having John Gibson's good, but, like, his value, his actual on-ice value, you have to assume is much lower than or higher than his trade value we see this in the Vesna voting voted on by GMs and Gibson never gets any love there despite the fact he's what the at worst second or third best goalie in the league probably
0: yeah exactly so uh, yeah I don't know like uh other than that like uh, on the back end you have Hampus Lindholm 26 years old again he's another guy same age as Gibson where it's like I wouldn't want to trade Lindholm. I think you could probably be fine with just keeping him through a rebuild, but by the time you're done on a rebuild, quote-unquote, which is what I would do with this team, he'd be, like, through his prime pretty much, and you have to be worrying about if he's going to keep it up or not. And I don't know. Like, they have some interesting young players. Sam Steele. uh, Who else do they have in the minors? Troy Terry. Like, they have a couple guys that are definitely interesting names. Uh, Trevor Zagrass as well. But, like, I don't know. They just don't have, like, an absolute stud prospect system, I don't think. And for me, just given the ownership, or, you know, not even the ownership, but just, you know, the internal budget and where this team is, I that's why they landed fifth for me.
1: Yeah, that's 100% reasonable. I could definitely see them. I, I would probably put them five as well. I have a couple other teams I dislike more. I don't think they're a disaster, but there's just not a lot to love.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, it's like, I don't know, uh, there's a few teams that I think I could, you know, the other thing is, so, like, uh, I didn't have LA on my list, but the reason I didn't have LA on my list is, by all accounts, their farm system is amazing, they have a bunch of picks, and I fully believe that if I took over today, I could trade one of, if not both, of Drew Debbie or Anze Kopitar, so... I don't think I. I don't think L. A. would be that in that bad of a position if you just do what needs to be done. I just don't think they will do that.
1: Yeah, L. A. that one where I think they're like bottom three, bottom two maybe if you can't trade Kopitar and Doughty, but they're off the list completely if you can because by all accounts they've drafted amazing, which makes it kind of funny by the way that they just let go of their the guy who was head of scouting, but like.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it's, you know, again, I don't even know much about their prospect system, but everyone says it's lo- loaded. Like, Tyler and Alex Turcotte. Uh, I'm trying to figure out, remember some other names that are in it. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, who just debuted this year? Gabe, Gabe Velarde. He was a stud right away. You know, it's good to see he finally got over his... Uh, injury problems so and they got a bunch of guys in the minors i believe too who just are supposed to be very 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 good so they have a very good future it's just they have a couple gross contracts on the books right now but yeah i had them off my list who did you have at five
1: i'll probably throw the ducks there too i'm kind of making my list
0: here. so four i had the arizona coyotes um kind of the same as the Ducks it's just a lot of there's a couple contracts that I just I don't like there's a lot of contracts I don't really like like I think the Nick Schmaltz one is fine and the Christian Dvorak one is fine it's just a lot of money for a lot of time for guys who just are meh like I don't know like this team isn't good by or they're not great they're fine they're very average they have no cap space they don't have their first round pick either this or next year and they don't have a third this year or next year
1: yeah, I really considered the Coyotes, especially now that they lost those picks in the Taylor Hall trade. Like, I think, I forget who it was. I wish I could give them credit, because I love this saying. Like, John Chayka seems to be really good at turning a quarter into 26 cents, but, like, that just leaves them in such a mediocre position because they weren't really good to begin with.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, just, like, even some of their other deals, like, I don't know, the Clayton Keller one is could. You know, like, it maybe it'll turn out fine, but as of right now, I don't think the deal's necessary. I don't think he's a $7.15 million
1: player. I don't know if you do, but... I don't. Like, you would definitely get takers if you wanted to trade that contract. But yes, that, that being said, true. his on-ice value, I think, is lower than that contract implies.
0: Yeah, and I mean, the, and same with, like, the Oliver ekman Larson deal. Like, I don't like that at all. It's got a full no-move, and, like... I don't know, you know, if you can convince them to move, how much are you getting for that on the open market, if anything? Like, I think OEL's overrated league-wide now, but I also don't know how many teams would be willingly taking on an eight-year or seven-year deal at age 28-29 for a guy who's making 8.25. Like, I just, I, I don't know. So, like, for me, and then, you know, obviously the market, like, their new owner seems to be willing to spend money. They're clearly up against the cap this year, so... That's good, but just all those things considered, that's kind of where I place them at four. I think you could probably work with a couple of the pieces, but, like, they just don't have anything to me that screams amazing.
1: Yeah, that's 100% fair. I thought about having them. I have the Habs in this spot, although I think they might the Habs might actually be better off than the Coyotes.
0: Yeah, I mean, I like the Habs. I, I, I didn't have the Habs on my list. I think... Their team that, you know, again, they're in a tough position because they're just kind of so mediocre, but, like, the nice thing for the Habs is, again, I totally believe, you know, as long as Price would be willing to go, he has a full new move, but if you could, if Price wanted to be traded, you absolutely could trade Carey Price, and, like, I just... Uh, For Shea Weber, like, I think you're fine letting Shea Weber $7.8 million on your books because you won't need the cap space if you're trying to, not rebuild, but, like, retool or whatever, because if he does retire, you're not the one getting killed with a cap crutch, right? So, uh, like, for the Habs, and uh, the Habs have a bunch of picks. Like, they, uh, a lot of theirs, it's not like Ottawa. Like, Ottawa is three firsts, four seconds this year. The Habs have three seconds, three fourths, two fifths, and then next year, three fourths, uh, two thirds, and three fifths. So it's like, they at least have some draft capital to work with, and that's kind of like, that's a little bit encouraging, I think, to see as well.
1: Yeah, that's very encouraging. Assuming you have, like, you're the Montreal Canadiens, you have a ton of assets, they should be, or a ton of money to spend, sorry, on things like scouting. They should be in a position, maybe this draft turns their franchise around completely.
0: Yeah, and like, yeah, I don't know. Like, Montreal's definitely in my bottom 15. Like, they'd be a bottom half team for me. Whereabouts? I don't know. Maybe they'd be just on the edge of that bottom 10 kind of thing. But also, like... If we're going to include owners for, you know, not wanting to spend money, I think Montreal, uh, their owner clearly has no issue spending money. And, you know, that should probably be taken into consideration at least a little bit as well.
1: Yeah, and they're also clearly willing to give you time because Mark Bergevin is still there.
0: <laughs> yes, but the, the problem for you or I is that neither of us could speak French. So maybe that uh, puts them on our list automatically because dealing with that market and not speaking French doesn't
1: seem like a great thing. True, and I sucked at that in high school, so that might be
0: rough. Um, So three for me was the Minnesota Wild. Um, I don't, like, this team is probably underrated compared to what most people think, but I just, they're just so boring to me, and just, there's so many contracts that I don't know if I could, like, a lot of the big, disgusting-looking contracts I feel confident getting out of, but, like, Zach Parise, unless you're taking bad money back from the Islanders, I don't think you're moving, and Ryan Sutter, I don't think you're moving, like... Jared Spurgeon's 30 and signed forever. Uh, like, there's just a lot of not... Matt Zuccarello's got four more years at $6 million. There's just not a lot that I love about uh, this team.
1: I have them, too. Is there a team that would benefit more from compliance buyouts in the wild?
0: Uh, San Jose, maybe?
1: But, yeah, uh, San Jose has worse contracts, but Minnesota's good enough now. They could actually maybe turn it around and put that money towards something productive.
0: Yeah, that's true. But I'd also argue if San Jose could buy out Martin Jones, they could put it towards a goal. You know, maybe before this year, you know. It'll be interesting to see if San Jose bounces back at all or if they're actually just shot. But yeah, like it's just – if they could get rid of the $7.5 million cap from Parise and – take your pick of another bet contract you don't like and just use that more efficiently. I Like, I, I don't know. I, I, it would be interesting to see where this team would land.
1: Yeah, it really would be. Although, Garen just took over too, right? Yeah, he did. It's got to be rough because, like, you didn't sign those contracts or whatever, but they're, like, the main thing hanging over your head. So I don't know if it's good to have those deals as an excuse or not, or if, like... I don't know. It's not a team I would want to be the GM of.
0: No, not at all. And I mean, like, for some teams, it's like like when Eisenman took over in Detroit, he has the excuse of, oh, yeah, I need two to three years to get rid of these contracts because the contracts only last three years. Parise and Suter signed for five more seasons after this one, and they're both 35 years old. So, like, there's not enough amount of time in the world to make you be able to get out from underneath that by just waiting it out.
1: Yeah, exactly. exactly. Like, you can't propose a seven-year plan to being competitive.
0: No, no, not at all. You just, you cannot do that. You know, no one in their right mind would accept that, so, uh, yeah, but, like, when we go back to the compliance bios, I think you said, you know, one of the ideas for yours when we did this was Victor Rask, maybe, too, if it would have, you know, if you couldn't do Parise or whatever, and, you know, that's someone I think... If they could get his $4 million off the books and just use that effectively somehow, it would be really interesting to see. If they only they had someone like Nino Niederreiter on their team, it would be uh, kind of cool to see.
1: What an impressively bad trade that was.
0: It's, it's funny because it was bad the second it was made, and then even after that, for the first, like, two weeks, Nino Niederreiter... Because, like, when it was straight uh, made, everyone just screamed, like, if you would have just played Nino Niederreiter in your top nine, he would have been fine. And then Carolina put him on their first line, and he just lit it up for the rest of the year. It's like, oh, it's almost like that's exactly what everyone said was going to happen.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, maybe stats people in general are a little too confident in some of our conclusions, but like that is one that the nerds on Twitter were proved right about so freaking fast it's not even funny.
0: Yup. Um okay so for number two I had San Jose.
1: Ooh. I had San Jose
0: Uh, one. Okay. Uh I had the Islanders one.
1: Okay, I had the Islanders three.
0: Yeah. Um so with San Jose, like I, with them in New York, I don't know. Like, I tried weighing it back and forth, and I think San Jose, like, I, I, they're one of the teams where I think you could get out of some of the money that's on their books, but not all of it. And, like, like when I compare them to New York, I just don't know how many, if any, of the contracts you can get out of. Like, who's taking Anders Lee at that price tag? Who's taking Brock Nelson at that price tag? Maybe you can find a suitor for uh, Jordan Eberle, but, I, like, unless you get take back... Uh, one of the, you know, Zach Parise, I don't think you're getting rid of Andrew Ladd either. Like, John gabriel Pajot's contract, I don't think anyone's taking that. I just, there feels like so many that you can't move with the Islanders. Where, like, in San Jose, I think it's, it's a bigger issue because the money's bigger. But, like, I still believe that if he wanted to move on, you could move Brent Burns right now. I think teams would take him, even with the down year he had. Uh, I also think the same of Evander Kane and Logan Couture. So... I think it's more just Vlasic and Carls and even Vlasic, you could maybe talk a team into taking him if you retained like a couple hundred grand or whatever. but I, I don't know. I, I feel very confident in being able to move at least two of two or three of San Jose's big pieces where I feel confident in being able to move zero of the Islanders.
1: Yeah, obviously, relative to most NHL teams, the Islanders have a lot of just objectively terrible contracts. But relative to the Sharks, they're a bit more of like a de- death by a thousand cuts. Like they don't have anything as big as the Burns contract or whatever, but they just have so many more five to six million dollar bad contracts. It's kind of an interesting trade-off there.
0: Yeah, it just depends if you want to try and gamble on getting rid of. Um six to seven contracts that are in the seven to $11 million range. Or if you try and take the team that has like, I'm going through their list and I think there's literally 10 contracts on their forward core that I don't like. And a lot of them are for just three to $7 million. And a lot of them span for three plus years.
1: Yeah. Like they, they have an impressive amount of bad contracts, but it's too bad Lou isn't in Toronto because that contract whiz would have gotten the Leafs out of their pick. (laughs) Apparently.
0: Yeah, uh, that's something I don't need to get through this episode. Uh, But yeah, it's... It's one the, I think you can make a case for either of them very easily. Um, their draft pick situation is both kind of crap. Uh, the Islanders don't have their first or second this year, and they don't have their second next year. The Sharks obviously don't have their first this year. They have their second. They have Tampa's first this year, and two seconds this year, but they also don't have their third, their fourth, or the sixth, or their seventh. They have two fifths this year, and two sevenths. Uh, and then next year, they have two or three third-round picks. So, like, to me, the Sharks is a little better in terms of draft capital, and, like, At least you have your first next year, uh, even though you don't have your second. So I don't know, like with I I really could go either way. They kind of were neck and neck for me where I could very easily be convinced to put San Jose one and the Islanders, two, And I just had it the other way around.
1: Yeah, that's completely reasonable. They are both just miserable teams to take over.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this is probably the two consensus teams I would have to imagine in the league. The only other one I could see people saying would be Ottawa, and that's just for ownership reasons. But Ottawa has such a bright future ahead that I don't think they would be, they should be in the bottom five of list. I don't think they should be in the top five either, just given Eugene Melnick. But like, for me, like when I was trying to rank Ottawa, if you take the ownership part of it out of it, I think Ottawa is top, probably top three, right? Like.
1: If you take ownership out of it, Ottawa would be, like, the dream team to take over. Yeah, Because they don't have their stars yet. So you would get credit for bringing everybody in.
0: Yeah, and, like, other than, you know, they have Bobby Ryan and Nikita Zaitsev contracts, which are, you know, not good. But, like, it's not like they have, like, six contracts you need to worry about. They have two. One that I think is, like, one goes for two more years and one goes for four. Like, the Zaitsev one sucks. There's no way around that. The Bobby Ryan one expires when you need the cap space pretty much. So it's like, like if you took ownership out of it, this would be the absolute ideal team. Three firsts this year, four seconds this year, two thirds this year, they're fourth, uh, fifth, two sixths. uh, And then next year they already have three seconds plus who knows what, if they get anything else, you know? So like, like if you take ownership out of it, but obviously you can't, but then, you know, I don't think ownership makes it go to the bottom five for me. They're just kind of like, I think I'd probably still have Ottawa in my top 10 if I'm being completely honest
1: I would put Ottawa very high, and maybe that's not giving enough credit to how terrible Eugene Melnick is, but I think they would be the perfect place to go make your mark.
0: Yeah, and, but yeah, exactly. And it's like even with Melnick, I think you have the built-in excuse of like, oh, well, what can I do? I have a cheap owner. But also like Ottawa's problem isn't the first eight years they get their stars. Ottawa can keep their RFA stars. That happens all the time. It's never an issue. It's when you have to get to UFA. So it's like if you're Ottawa, you at least have like – like if you took over the Senators now, you'd have like – a six to eight week, uh, eight year period where before you even had to worry about uh, what was going to happen. And that should be plenty enough time to try and mold the team into a, a contender, how you like it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like if your big issue taking over the team is what do I do in seven years after I've hit on my high draft picks you're you're doing all right.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. So I think like, other than that, like I think San Jose and the Islanders are probably the two consensus worst teams to take over.
1: Yeah, them in the wild would definitely be the worst yeah. answer.
0: There other people I had on my list. I thought about Florida, but, like, the, Florida has some pieces I really, really like, too. It's just the ownership there, you know, the, you know, the budget that they're on at times, and also the Sergei Bobrovsky contract is disgusting. Um, but, like, I just didn't think there was enough to crack my top five.
1: No, I also thought about Florida. I like too many of their good players enough that I wouldn't have them there.
0: Yeah, it was kind of the same idea with Nashville, too, where it's like I think there's some legitimate cap problems and maybe in three years or so Nashville's on the bottom five teams. But like for now, I don't think it's much of an issue because you have so much to work with, with just the high end defensemen that are on that team where it's like you're probably set off even if, you know, Kyle Turris is a bad contract and Matt Duchesne is overpaid.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like it's it would be tough. And it would be really tough to maneuver. Like, you're basically stuck with what you're given. But I don't think it would be that bad. Like, there's still a team that could win a cup, and nobody would really be that surprised.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then the only other team I thought about putting on this list was Columbus. And that's just because they seem to just kind of be stuck in purgatory of, like... It's not like they have any very bad contracts. Like, I know the Cam Atkinson one isn't great, but it's not like... Like, that's not... I wouldn't put that in the top 10 worst contracts in the league or anything like that. But they're just... They're so meh where it just – it does not matter. It doesn't seem to matter ever.
1: They kind of have a team where, like, if you pick up NHL 20 and you want to go into a GM mode, like, they're kind of like the dream team to take over that isn't too easy on you, but, like, you still get to mold them the way you want, essentially.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, like, again, to me, that they are probably just be in that 20 to 25 range where it's like there's nothing inherently wrong with the team. It's just – they're just so mediocre that maybe, I don't know, maybe if you're a new GM, you can justify trading away like six of the players and just starting over again. But obviously that has its fair share of risks in the NHL as well.
1: Yeah, even I think that's the most likely outcome for them to become a good team again. But that would it'd be a tough thing to sell to a team that's in the playoffs right now or in the playoff hunt, at least
0: yeah it's tough because it's definitely the most likely outcome but it has such a high failure rate as well that like when you know like me and you can talk about it very easily like why don't you just sell and rebuild but you need to get so many people on board with that and like you need people in and this is the biggest problem i think in any sports league really right now is that people don't understand that uh because something didn't work out exactly how they wanted it to doesn't mean the process is bad like that's the whole kind of thing with like you know philly is like and obviously i think that you know you see teams in the nba now getting around to it but it's like with the N- nba and N- nhl lottery system it's so hard to like be able to tank efficiently because even if you suck for two years two or three years in a row you could come 31st every year and you could pick fourth every year and it wouldn't be like that shocking
1: yeah exactly and it's especially i don't know if this is true in the nba i know this is true in the nhl like the the stars so disproportionately come from picks one and two where you need to win a lottery to get there that it's, it's, it can be very difficult.
0: Yeah. And it's not impossible, obviously. Like you see, like Mitch Marner was taken fourth. There's a ton of good, like third, fourth, fifth, sixth yeah. overall guys. It's just, it's so much harder to be able to start your franchise over when you were picking fifth and sixth for three years in a row, as opposed to like one, two or three.
1: Yeah, exactly. Cause sure. There's a Pedersen at five, but, that's very unlike—that's extremely high—like, that's the 99th percentile outcome at pick number five.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, it, you usually I think in the NHL draft, at least in the top five there, even if you pick three, four, or five, you'll get, like, a, a very good player, like a Matthew Kachuk or a Brady Kachuk. Like, those are very, very good players. It's just those aren't, like, top ten at their position type players where it's, like, That's where you can really get them at one and two, and that's where the most odds are. But if you're a GM, it's just so hard to—I'd imagine it'd be so hard to convince, you know, your your owner and, you know, whoever in the market and everything that, yeah, let's suck for the chance to get the first overall pick. And if that doesn't work, we might be screwed. And also, you know, like, I might need three or four years to do this. Like, it's just—it's so hard to convince people to do that, obviously, when there's so much more at stake
1: yeah exactly like people like psychologically human beings love certainty so it can't be easy to go in and pitch a plan that revolves around winning a lottery to someone with their multi million dollar business exactly uh yeah so uh do you have any more to say on that i don't think so
0: no me either i think next week we will do the top five teams we would most likely want to take over um so that could be interesting because I think last year or last year or two years ago when we did this, we did the top ten teams. But me and you had a lot of differences uh, on our list, so it should be out fun as well. Uh, as always, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Suns and stuff. You can find my work at LastWordOnHockey.com. You can find this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find Chase on Twitter at CM Hockey66. Uh, Chase, do you have anything that you're working on right now?
1: Yeah, I'm actually. I'm bored as hell, essentially, so I'm going to start blogging again, focusing on the draft. There we go.
0: Um, so I, I don't really have much going right now. I just started my full-time job again, but I'm hoping to get some more stuff out as the summer rolls on and maybe as we get more of an idea of what's going to happen. Uh So, yeah, keep your eyes out for that. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have any questions, let us know. Um, And, you know, if if there's any mailbag questions or anything you want us to answer, uh, shoot me or chase a message, and we'll do our best to answer. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week.